This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brat. Hey there, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. When most of us first have kids, we're totally unprepared for the huge emotional upheaval that we're going to be thrown into. We find ourselves struggling to learn how to deal with anger and fear that we haven't experienced for a long time, probably, and learning how to take care of ourselves while caring for small people and at the same time feeling frequently, utterly exhausted. Oh, oh, and of course we want to be loving, connected parents too, right? Well, what we don't realize at the beginning of our parenting journey is that parenting is actually the ultimate training in resilience. We have to learn how to bounce back over and over when we stumble, and we are going to stumble a lot. Sometimes bouncing back can be extremely humbling. You get to re-examine your assumptions and change your perspective. And sometimes bouncing back is invigorating, and especially when you can bounce back with more knowledge, a new parenting tool, or a deeper commitment to building a connected relationship with your child that you treasure. Either way, you're always going to be learning, and being a bounce-back parent means seeing the challenges in parenting as opportunities for growth. The truth is that everybody's capable of growing and learning, starting right from where you are. And you won't have to move an inch from right where you are because we're going to be talking about all of this when Positive Parenting continues right after this. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. Or maybe he's teething. Maybe it's just a phase. Maybe he has autism, and we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Alyssa Marquis, who is the author of Bounce Back Parenting, a field guide for creating connection, not perfection. Alyssa, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk a little bit about what Bounce Back Parenting is. It's a, a phrase I think most people wouldn't have heard of without having seen the book. I think for me, what happened is I always wanted to be a mom. I thought it was going to be so easy and natural to me, huh. and it just—I <laughs> just was really in for a shock when I became a mom. And it turned out to be one of the best teaching grounds for resilience and needing to learn how to bounce back frequently. And so you're so. you're bouncing back from the need to be perfect or from the the failures that you've. Experience. Oh boy, a little bit of both. You know, um, I went into it thinking I need to be perfect, realized quickly that that wasn't going to happen, and it was a very unhelpful mindset to be stuck in. And instead, as I've developed a growth mindset in parenting, which means thinking, okay, I can make mistakes, I can learn from these mistakes repeating that process over and over again, really, that really human process, all of us make mistakes and we learn from them, that's about bouncing back. And um, 
accepting that as as part of parenting and as a, a natural and healthy part of parenting. Okay. And, well, I guess let's let's step back a little bit. Where do you think this stuff comes from, this idea of being perfect? I mean, you know, as, as somebody who interviews a lot, of, uh, a lot of authors and who has written a number of books on parenting himself, I mean, it, it seems like most of us end up making the same, with the same realization that you had, which is, oh, <laughs> this is not this is not going to be as easy as I thought it was. Or, or there yeah. was there was a book years ago, which I, I the, the title was something like "I was a much better parent before I had kids." Uh-huh. Uh, and you know, I think I think that that's a, a a common realization that people get hit with. And you wonder where does it all come from? I mean, it's not just on moms; it's dads too. Have oh, to yeah. have to be perfect. You got to perform. You have to be able to coach the team. You got to make sure that the kids are doing their homework and make lunches and shop and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, parenting is the one thing we think, I cannot mess this up. Obviously, we want to do the best for our kids possible. I'm not sure all of where it comes from, but I think currently we have an awful lot of access to an awful lot of information. We get quick answers when we want them. You know, where's the nearest restaurant? I can find that and tell you where it is. And somehow, sometimes I think we lump parenting into that as well, and we begin to think of it as a system with just check marks, get it right, and everything will be easy. And I think we forget that it's a relationship with another human being. And that tends to have a lot more complexity than anything you can quickly Google and find an answer to. So I think this idea of perfection can come from that quick information that we're used to. Yeah, and I guess if you look at it from a little bit of distance, you can see that, that except in the very extremes, there's no right way to do it or no wrong way to do it, that most things are going to work out one way or the other. Yeah, it was helpful to me when a friend told me one time, you know, I've just realized that all decisions are going to have some sort of crappy consequence, and that sounds really negative, but... Her her freedom from that came from life is going to continue to be hard and it's going to continue to kick you around sometimes. So rather than dragging yourself down thinking, oh, man, I am going to dwell on this regret, pick yourself up, walk forward when you make a mistake and say, okay, I'm going to have a whole new set of circumstances here to deal with, new choices to make. It becomes a little more empowering when you realize you're going to keep on making choices and keep on being faced with these decisions. And so instead of beating yourself up, you might as well learn from them and keep on growing. What do you think perfection would look like if it were achievable? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You you like real perfection or the perfection that I get lost in my head sometimes? Either either one. I mean, I I just think once, once you end up having kids... You, I think, are no longer capable of actually imagining what perfection looks like. Uh-huh. What holds me back when I imagine perfection is thinking that if I were, I, I'm sure I don't literally think if I were perfect, but, you know, I imagine the perfectly clean house. I imagine my children immediately doing as I ask. I imagine everybody having tidy haircuts and we all happily, lovingly gather around for um, dinner and conversation that easily flows and nobody is being told, hey, come back to the table or 
uh, wait a minute, did you wash your hands or come on, stop having a grumpy time at dinner time. I think I look at perfection as somewhere that I'm not. That's usually what it is. And that's the reason that it gets in the way is because of enjoying, instead of enjoying the wonderful moments that can happen even in chaos, when I look towards perfection, I think, well, this isn't it. I'm not there. And it shuts down my ability to enjoy the family that I have. Wow. It's a little quirky. That's a, a tall order, I guess. Yeah. All right. So it, in the book, you have it set up as kind of a field guide to, to parenting. And one of the things you have in there is secret missions. Talk about those, what those are and, and what we're doing. Kind of as we're saying, as I was saying, like perfection, you said, wow, it's a tall order. And, of course, we know it's unrealistic to be perfect. But we do get really serious about all this. We want to get it right. We want to do so well, and it's easy to take ourselves too seriously. At least it is for me. I can take myself way too seriously. So sometimes what happened is when my kids were really young, I needed ways to get through the day and be a little more positive about it because I was feeling like, oh, my gosh, I, I – I've got to be able to connect with these kids and not feel so down about um, not getting everything right. So I would set up kind of a secret mission in my head. All right, I'm going to smile at my kids when they walk in the room today. And I didn't go telling them, hey, everybody, my project today is to smile at you. It was just a little mental shift. And I think it can be helpful to have little things that we set ourselves to trying out, experimenting with. As you said, there are many different ways to parent effectively, and you've got to have a little bit of trial and error and figure out what works in your family and your particular dynamics. So these parenting secret missions give some ideas to try out. And you said that you're not, you're not going in there and telling the kids, this is my mission today. It is a secret mission. You're keeping it to yourself? Or, uh, or is there some benefit to saying, hey, let's all do this together? Let's all try to smile at each other. Certainly. It, 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 yeah, I mean, either way. It totally depends on what you're in the mood for that way that day. I think if you try and tell a two-year-old, here's my secret mission, they're probably not going to know what you're talking about anyways. But um, it's really, really that came from let's have some flexibility here. Let's not get locked into feeling like I have to try this thing in parenting and it is going to be the right answer and I must get it right. I wanted to put that secret mission in there as, let's be a little playful about this. Let's try it on for size. Feel how it feels in your family and, and allow yourself the ability to change if you notice you need to change. You, know, you mentioned how connection is what it's all about, really. And how do you begin to build those connections? I think the biggest thing is in slowing down and looking at the child you have in front of you instead of the child that you hoped you would have or the, the character traits that you believe are perfect and, and good in a child. It's really looking at who is this? Oh, well, this is someone you love. Okay. What do you guys do well together? You know, you may have a kid who is always at their best when you're out in the backyard together. Good. Look for five minutes to get out in the backyard and throw a ball around. If that's what lights up that child and, and makes them feel like they're connected to you. It's really looking at those individuals and uh, seeing, asking yourself, who is, who is this person that I'm getting to love in my life? 
And how do I connect with them? What do I need to do to look at them differently so that I can make a connection as opposed to just criticizing? Mm-hmm. Um, I like to start from looking at children's strengths. So that's just a perspective shift. Everybody mm-hmm. has different strengths, and you can right. look for those. But on a simple, practical, day-to-day level, I would say I always start with smiling more often at my children when I realize that I've been in a phase uh, with a child that I've been feeling disconnected with. You know, mm-hmm. That's a really simple thing you, anybody can do. Smiling is an easy way to communicate to your child that you love them and that you want to be connected with them. Right. And then the next thing I would say is taking a look at where is my child right now? What could their current actions be expressing to me? Because we can get caught up thinking that somebody's behaviors are being done to us, you know, because I think you're asking, like, if you're not feeling connected to your child, which is usually when they're in kind of a rough spot, right? And if we step back and say, hey, behavior is actually communication. I mean, even as an adult, if I'm feeling lonely or angry, I might not express that very well to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so if we can say, boy, this child is sure stomping around a lot and just start to get curious, what could this mean? Why, Why would they be doing this? If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Alyssa Marquis, who's the author of Bounce Back Parenting, a field guide for creating connection, not perfection. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Alyssa. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broad. If you're just joining us, talking with Alyssa Marquis, who's the author of Bounce Back Parenting, a field guide for creating connection, not perfection. And her website is, or, or yeah, the website is bouncebackparenting.com. Uh, let's talk a little bit about something that we talk about on the show from time to time, and it's something that is quite often overlooked in all this, is the, the need for self-compassion and self-care. Um, what's, what's the secret mission there? What's the secret mission for self-care? My favorite secret mission for self-care is starting with bite-sized self-care because I think a lot of us dads and moms feel a little bit guilty about taking time to ourselves. Even if we logically understand that it's needed, it can get hard to get past that internal emotion that says, gosh, aren't I being selfish if I do something for me? But if you look at self-care, instead of thinking I've got to go to the spa for an hour or I've got to have a whole day to myself and say, now wait, I could have a cup of coffee and not try to be productive while I'm drinking the coffee. I could just enjoy the cup of coffee. Uh, Another one I've said is put lotion on or... Notice silence and just enjoy it when, when, when you notice it because it doesn't happen as often when you've got, you know, young kids at home. Looking for those little moments that bring you joy is one of the first steps to getting more self-care into your life. Recognizing yourself as a person who deserves and can have little personal moments of joy. That's a hard one. I mean, it really, I think that that so many of us spend so much time putting the kids first and making sure that they get what they need or what they want that we end up last or or non-existent. Totally. 
And in fact, when I wrote the chapter about self-care, I thought I was going to start out talking about how you don't have to feel guilty about this. And I had a pretty strong realization that instead of don't feel guilty, well, hey, I've been working on this for over a decade now, and sometimes I still feel guilty about self-care. What has happened is I've made a little bit of a truce with guilt and said to myself, okay, you can feel guilty, but you still need to take care of yourself. And that has been an interesting shift to go, I can feel this emotion. Mm, I'm feeling a little bit guilty. Well, I'll tell you what, I would rather feel guilty about taking a little downtime to myself instead of feeling guilty because I yelled my head off at the kids because I had never taken any downtime to myself. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah. You know, it, it's, it seems to me, so, so we're going to back off of of perfection or the, the silly pursuit of perfection that doesn't exist in the first place. But you probably, as a parent, want to have some kind of goals, generally speaking, about what mm-hmm. kind of kids you'd like to raise and oh. how you'd like to have, what, what sorts of people you would like them to be. And even though we're looking at the kid in front of us who may not be exactly what we want, we, we can still have something to shoot for, right? Oh, for sure. One of the most helpful things that has been the most orienting for my husband and I in this world where there are so many ideas that you can find about how to parent is we've really worked on coming up with our family purpose statement. And we, we came up with five different words that are what our family goes towards. For, for instance, we are welcoming. And so that's something that we talk about in our family. And it gives us a guide. It gives us something that we talk about um, how we can achieve that. It gives us something to talk to the kids about. And I would challenge any parent to just spend a little bit of time thinking about if I send my child out into the world as an adult, what are the handful of values that I think is, are most going to help them. And your values do not have to be the same as anybody else's. But if you have some sense of purpose in the way that you talk to your children and in the way of, of how, how you want them to grow, it helps you take a look at all these different expectations in the world and be able to discard the ones that don't fit within your own values and the things that matter most to you. Discard so, the ones that don't fit. Oh, for, you know, you might be you might be feeling pressure to have your child in all of the after-school activities. Mm-hmm. And perhaps you realize, and that, and that may be somebody else's value, that may fit really well with them. Yes, my child needs to have these different skills in order to succeed. That feels like it will help their child the most. However, maybe you think, I really need time to talk with my children in the evening because our family is really going for um, a value of open communication, and the the evenings are the only time that we talk together. Okay, maybe you're not going to feel as pressured to have them in every single activity because you know your family's core value and you're making the choice then to not have them in all the activities. What are some other of the of the values on your list of, of five? In our family, uh, yeah. we are leaders. And so we talk about, we, we have a phrase to go with, with our different values. So we're leaders. And then when we talk to our kids, we say, well, 
You need to do what needs to be done. And then that gives further conversation about, well, what do leaders do? We also have different ways that we are both, my husband and I are entrepreneurs, so we also own a brewery. So we have plenty of opportunity to talk about uh, leadership. You know, our children know the different people that work for us, and we can tell different stories about during the day. They were really a leader when they took initiative and cleaned up before anybody else did, that kind of thing. Um, kindness is one of our other values. And, I mean, just, you know, it sounds simple, but it's the kind of thing at dinner time we might say, so when did you see someone being kind today? Mm-hmm. And just talk about it. It's just, it's just bringing the things that you care about out into your day-to-day family life. I feel like it gives you somewhere to go to instead of just I'm not going to be X, Y, Z. Well, I'm, I'm going to try not to yell. I'm going to try not to mess up my kids. Yeah, of course. But where are you going to? And you can pick your handful of things that, that are important to you. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a great idea. I think it's one of these things that, and I'm glad you've made time for it. I think this is, so many parents would say, oh, how can we possibly come up with something like that? But uh, do you have a, a suggestion for how, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but I mean, like a list of, of words to start off with or something like that. Um, I'll, I'll tell you how, how it worked well in our family, because we're both very busy, both working parents. And I brought up the idea first, <laughs> being the parenting author, but um, <laughs> what was helpful to me is I actually thought a little bit about it on my own first, jotted down some ideas, but then we let it be an ongoing conversation. We did eventually come to the point where we posted something on our refrigerator, but I think my husband and I talked about this for slowly over the course of many short conversations, a couple months, you know. Um, So I had my ideas, and I came to him one night and said, hey, I'd I'd like to talk a little bit about what our family purpose is and Mm -hmm. what are the kind of things that that we say to our kids that we think are really important. And so then the question was, well, what do you think matters the most? What do you think our kids need to know? And these are, yeah, these are not quick ideas. You know, it takes a little while to think about. So allow it to be an ongoing long-term conversation. Take a look in your family. Notice when you all seem like you're at your best, you know, and um, and just start talking about it. Because yeah. if you know what matters to you, you're going to have a much better North Star to guide you in family life. And then I think the, the background has to be to be nice to yourself if you aren't able to achieve all of those goals. Right. I mean, because yeah. that, 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 yeah, we could, we could end up lapsing back into the relentless <laughs> pursuit of perfection. Totally. <laughs> uh, you know, if you have all the, if you have your five words like you do that, you know, the, this is what our family is, and you realize, oh my goodness, we're not quite there yet. No. I suppose underlaying all of it for us is this feeling of we are human beings growing together. Yeah. And that is the, you got to come back to that. And growth involves making mistakes, not being there yet. Sometimes it's messy. You, you just got to keep going. <laughs> Alyssa Marquis is the author of Bounce Back Parenting, a field guide for celebrating connection, not perfection. 
and also bouncebackparenting.com. Melissa, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. It's been a joy. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. Twenty years ago or so, the Phoenix area was widely considered a cultural wasteland. Well, those days are long gone. Today, the greater Phoenix area is home to some fantastic museums and other educational venues, many of which are quite family-friendly. This week, we take a look at some must-see Phoenix experiences. The Musical Instrument Museum in Phoenix. Humans are hardwired for music, as evidenced by the existence of music and musical instruments in every known human culture going back thousands of years. This dazzling museum's collection of more than 10,000 instruments is guaranteed to engage, entertain, and impress. It features exhibits organized by instruments like guitars, violins, trumpets, percussion, and so on, geography, Asia, Middle East, U.S., Canada, Latin America, And there's a special exhibit of treasures from central China going on right now. Also organized by artists like Elvis, Taylor Swift, Tito Puente, and dozens from around the world, and a lot more. There's also a fascinating exhibit of mechanical instruments like Nickelodeons, music boxes, player pianos, and so on. And you won't want to miss the Experience Gallery, where you and your kids can strum, pluck, stroke, bang, stomp, and otherwise play instruments from every corner of the world. It's for all ages. There are one-day and two-day passes available, and admission includes a self-guided audio tour. Check out mim.org. Butterfly Wonderland in Scottsdale. The largest indoor rainforest in the United States is in Scottsdale, Arizona, and it's truly a marvel. The experience starts with a short 3D movie about monarch butterflies and then moves on to the Emergence Gallery, where you can watch former caterpillars emerge from their chrysalises or cocoons. For those who don't know the difference, helpful and knowledgeable guides are available to explain that and a lot more. Then it's on to the Conservatory, where more than 3,000 butterflies and moths from around the world flutter among the lush tropical plants and flowers. Humans are asked not to touch the flying creatures, but the animals themselves didn't get that message, and they see us as convenient resting places, which makes for great photo ops. There are also some wonderful exhibits of rainforest, reptiles, bees, and insects. It's for all ages. Prices vary. Check out butterflywonderland.com. The Odyssey Aquarium. It's located in the same complex as the Butterfly Wonderland. This aquarium is the largest in the southwest United States. And frankly, I'd like to meet the geniuses who had the foresight to open an aquarium in the middle of the desert. The people who run it are completely committed to conservation and education. The aquarium has exhibits that focus on geographical areas like reefs, kelp forests, and so on, as well as specific animal types like river otters, paddlefish, piranhas, penguins, giant octopi, and more. And there are several hands-on exhibits where you can touch rays, sharks, harmless ones, of course, and other animals. We really loved the bizarre and beautiful section where we discovered the walking batfish, but our favorite was the just-opened Odyssey Voyager, which is billed as the world's only revolving aquarium experience. You sit in comfortable seats, and over the course of 20 minutes, the ship that you're in slowly moves throughout the ocean, 
making stops to explore sharks, sea lions, sea turtles, and the biggest rays you've ever seen. It's for all ages, family, and annual passes are available. Check out odysseyaquarium.com, and it's spelled O-D-Y-S-E-A, aquarium.com. The Odyssey Laser and Mirror Maze. You need a break from the gorgeous wildlife? Well, the Mirror Maze experience is the perfect respite. We have no idea how big the maze is, but it'll take 10 to 15 minutes to make your way through it. Thanks to some cool graphics, the images on the walls constantly change, and thanks to the requirement that everyone wear gloves, there are no fingerprints on the mirrors that would help you to figure out whether you're walking into a wall or going down the right passage. When you're done, try the Laser Maze Challenge, where you can either duck, twist, and crawl your way through a laser obstacle course, or do Buster Beam, where the object is to do the opposite, to break as many lasers as you can. It's for ages 6 and up. Tickets can be purchased separately or as part of a combo package with the Butterfly Wonderland and or the aquarium. It's at odysseymirrormaze.com. You can get a lot more information about other games and activities and toys and wonderful things to do with your kids at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another brand new show for you. Hey, but you know there's a lot more of this wonderful parenting show going on right now. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. WWE superstar Alberto Del Rio, take one. Behold the angry giant. Try it again, Alberto. Behold the angry giant. Perfect. Good luck tonight. Behold the angry giant. Yay! Read me another one, Dad. This is WWE superstar Alberto Del Rio. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. It's me, your heart. High blood pressure is serious, and if you think I'm just going to keep ticking away, you're wrong. I can quit whenever I want, but I like my job. Just treat me better. Maybe we can do some exercise on occasion? After all, we're in this together. Don't let your heart quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get yours to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Now, get ready for more positive parenting with Armin Brat from the MrDad.com radio network. Welcome to the second part of today's Positive Parenting Show. I'm Armin Brat, the founder of MrDad.com. Families have been celebrating firsts since time immemorial, including baby's first words, a child's first loose tooth, and little ones getting dropped off for their first day of school. But today, there are an entirely new and equally important number of major life milestones that kids and parents must be prepared to greet. For example, highly memorable high-tech moments such as your tween receiving the first cell phone or registering a child to get a first email address or even the first time that your kids create their Facebook profile, team up to play online video games, or send a sibling a text message. Entry into today's internet and online world can be a bumpy ride, complete with its own important concerns and hazards which modern parents must be prepared to address. 
Now that technology's influence on the modern family dynamic has become pronounced, ongoing, and hugely influential, the time to tackle these issues is here and now. As positive as influence of technology and online connectivity can exert on today's world, as responsible parents and digital citizens, we must always remember children cannot be allowed to come of age in a digital world that we've left them unprepared to greet. In this part of today's show, we are going to get you prepared with one of today's leading online safety experts. We'll be right back, so don't go anywhere. Every hiring manager knows that a company is only as good as the people it's made from. So where do you find the best people? That may surprise you. Meet the grads of life, young adults of unique determination and experience, an ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. This is talent worth knowing about. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Scott Steinberg, who's the co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids, the Ultimate Internet, Web, and Online Safety Guide. Scott, thanks for joining us. Of course. How's it going? Well, it's all right. It's all right. I wanted to have you start off by talking a little bit about You make a nice analogy in the introduction to the book about, uh, you know, learning but you know, the, the, the ways that we introduce our kids are the expectation we have that they're going to they're going to fall down, they're going to skin their knee, and that there's going to be some bumps and hiccups along the way when we're introducing to them uh, introducing them to technology. Talk about that concept a little bit about the, the the fits and starts that we have to go through. It's not quite so simple. Well, that's right. So it's a learning process. Of course, kids are sponges, and they're constantly learning from the world around them. And in the same way that they need to pick themselves up after they stumble and experiment and try new things, in the real world, they have to do that in the high-tech world as well. And what's interesting is, of course, you've got to give them a little bit of training wheels, as it were, when it comes to things like social media or portable mobile devices and communications devices. Like the rest of us, they could benefit from a little bit hands-on training and also a little bit of background input. And, of course, to be taught to respect some basic rules of communications and etiquette, the golden rule being primary among them. The golden rule being what, in your view? Well, if you always want to treat others like you would expect yourself to be treated and try and put yourself in their shoes. So empathy is a big piece of this. I think a lot of times kids and adults alike forget that when they go online, they're not actually in character. And even though they're only facing a screen, they are in public in one of the most public places available. I oftentimes say, by the way, breeze by your local stadium, catch a baseball game, or breeze by your local concert hall, and you'll get a sense as to just how many people you're in front of when you're broadcasting messages online. So you really need to think about what you're saying, how you're projecting your image to the world, and making sure that you're being respectful of other people, and hopefully by acting positive and treating them forthright and upstanding manner, they'll essentially treat you the same. How do we begin to get this going? Because I think that the technology in, in many ways has become so seamless that it's just part of everything. I mean, kids are growing up. I mean, they're, they're, I, I, I do a lot of toy reviews, and I see 
toys that are aimed at 18 month old kids to teach them coding and you know, you can you all over YouTube you can find videos of 6 month olds swiping screens to turn pages of magazines and I mean it's it's just part of life we don't even think about it in the same way that we don't really think about teaching kids well you know you're going to learn how to walk here so you got to be careful because you don't want to run into the street i mean that's it's you don't do that when you're when yeah. you're first learning with a child who's first learning to take a few steps there there's something in between so how do we begin to even start with the with the products for six month olds or nine month old or whatever that, that involves screens yeah. and everything how do we get them to look at that with respect yeah, can it's a we? tough line to walk sometimes. Essentially what I would say is when it comes to those devices, think about some of the ways in which they might be used in your household and begin to have conversations around them as best you can, keeping in mind that children may be very young. The, the thing to keep in mind is how the devices might be utilized based on their features. So can they connect online? Can they allow people to communicate with one another? Can they allow you to capture photos and video and share those online? I think the best thing that you can do is to contemplate whether or not you should be introducing a high-tech device into a child's life and when. For example, I often argue that smartphones or these devices that allow them to communicate, you really don't want those on their wrist or in front of them until you really need to be in touch with them and you don't have ready access such as when they're starting after-school programs or extracurricular activities and the like. But you really want to have a household contract in place where you can discuss basic rules for high-tech usage so kids understand when devices are okay to have turned on, when they have to be turned off, what's an appropriate manner to use them, who are they allowed to communicate with. And really, I think the best thing that you can do here is to spend time with kids and the technologies to really sit down with them and show them some of the basics. It really goes a long way. Well, how do you do that? Get- Take us through a, a well, scenario. Here, here's your, here's your first mm-hmm. phone, Johnny. <laughs> well, I think part of that would be to before Johnny gets the phone, uh, talk about responsible usage and say, "Hey, look, here's a device that's going to allow you to connect with mom and dad, possibly grandma and grandpa as well, and other members of the family." But also keep in mind that it's not to be used during dinner or meals. It's not to be used at school, and you also have to think about the way in which you're connecting with people. Anything you say. You want to be as respectful as if they were standing there in person. And by the way, let's walk through some of the features, and let me show you some of the ropes as to how you can use this device. And by the way, it's possible as well that mom and dad might have put some software on there. We're going to keep an eye on you. We're not going to be spying, but you do want to be upfront with kids and let them know that you are present. When the cat is away, that's when the mouse tends to play. So just by saying, hey, look, we're not going to be completely oblivious to this. Uh, but here are some basic rules of the road, and we'll, we'll be keeping a watchful eye on you. Same way we wouldn't turn you out into the park or the street to go play uh, without having some idea of who you're with or what's going on and some basic training. We're going to do the same here. And by the way, you, you know, if you're going to use this device, your homework's going to get done. You're also going to spend time outside playing with friends. It's all about balance and moderation as well. Right. So there, there's all sorts of restrictions and uh other kinds of things to hopefully incentivize good behavior. But there is also the amazing capacity that kids have to know a lot more about these things than we do somehow. And to, ah, to, to quickly get up to speed and to maybe learn how to disable the tracking software that we put on there or other stuff. So that's a fine point that you bring up. And I think we oftentimes forget that in the case of high-tech devices and apps, the roles of student and teacher are often reversed because they're the digital natives. They're the ones who've grown up with these devices in hand since the earliest age. 
and are oftentimes a lot more adept when it comes to adapting and learning new features and updates of these software programs and devices as they're introduced. So we have to keep in mind, rumor has it, we were all at some point a kid, and kids are very clever. In fact, more clever than we oftentimes give them credit for. So one of the best things that you can keep in mind when setting these up is to realize that kids can circumvent the best safeguards that you put on a device, no matter how tight those safeguards are. So really the best thing you can do is be a trusted guide, an advisor, a mentor of sorts who helps to make better decisions, who gives them the skills, the insights, the tips that they need to make smarter, better decisions so that when they do encounter questionable things online, and by the way, 100% of kids' studies show will encounter questionable things online, <laughs> that they can make good decisions and that they know they can feel safe and comfortable turning to you for questions and advice because so much of their activity is going to take place on mobile devices or devices that maybe are outside of your oversight and control. Yeah. You know, you talk in the book about some very specific things about anti-spyware and antivirus programs and uh, and how to protect kids against malware and phishing. Would you talk a little bit about those things? Because I think there there's... It's so difficult. I mean, I, I mean, one of the things I have constant arguments with my kids about is that every time you go on a website, you could be downloading something that you don't know. Every time you click on a link, you could be downloading something. And their their computers are more likely to get virused up, I think, than mine, probably. So what what right. can we do? What are some specifics that we can do to protect mm -hmm. them and, and us because we're often on the same wireless network. Yes. So the first thing that I would do would be to pre-install firewall software packages as well as antivirus software packages. You might as well have a basic front line of defense. And by the way, a lot of those programs are now free. You don't have to pay anything to enjoy them and enjoy regular updates. And I would do that on your smartphone and tablet as well. They may take a different shape or form than a computer, but they are very powerful computers that fit in your pocket or your carry-on, and they can be subjects to these kinds of malware and viruses in the same way that your desktop would be. The other thing that I would say to do would be to also think about talking with kids about cultivating healthy paranoia, to be suspicious of links that people have sent them that they did not request to be sent, to think about when they get funky messages like, hey, click on this link, look at what I found out. Maybe don't go through with that uh, to reach out and contact somebody by phone if, in fact, they claim to have won a lottery ticket <laughs> yeah. from the state of Florida. You, you really, it's, it's, it's about saying, hey, look, you know, go to trusted websites. Maybe here's a range of websites. There's some types of places we can go if we want to download software. Maybe download.com is better than some random place in Russia or the Balkans. You're you just going to have those common-sense conversations with kids and really teach them to be suspicious as best they can of everything and everyone, but within a reasonable and healthy parameter. A little bit of suspicion, a little dose of cautiousness never hurts. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Scott Steinberg. I'm Armin Broad, and Scott's book is Parenting High-Tech Kids, the Ultimate Internet Web and Online Safety Guide. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll keep talking to Scott about Internet safety and, and phone safety and a lot of other things. I'm Armin Brat. You're listening to Positive Parenting. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Broadfield. Just joining us, talking with Scott Steinberg, who is the co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids, 
And we were just talking about uh, setting up some some basic malware and phishing uh, ideas and some stuff to put on your com- on your computer and your phone. Can you give just mention some specifics of uh, a program that's good to put on a phone? Because I, I wasn't even really aware that there are things like that for phones. I know certainly there's there's no sure. shortage of them for computers. Yeah, well, you can see McAfee, Trend Micro. Uh, you can see that Panda, for example, or AVG, all of these providers, Kaspersky, will offer a variety of software programs that work with a variety of devices, not simply desktop computers, that will be able to assist you with that. In fact, if you go online and look, you'll find a wealth of programs available for Android and iOS devices alike. And how can you tell which ones are good and which ones are just vehicles for delivering even more malware? <laughs> that is a tricky line to walk as well, yes. You've always got to be suspicious of what you downloaded online. But if you use reputable and trusted sites, uh, I find download.com has always been a good friend in the past, although okay. each and every person may have their own preference. Uh, what I would also say is you, you look for reviews, and you look for those reviews in high quantities. It's all too easy to fake let's say, a dozen positive five-star reviews, but it's awful hard to fake 5,000 of them that say that this is a four-and-a-half-star rated piece of software. So in similar fashion that you would be browsing hotel reviews or resort reviews on TripAdvisor or restaurant reviews on Yelp, you could do the same with these programs. But again, some of the names that I've provided here are fairly well-known and trusted providers and shouldn't steer you in a wrong direction. Okay. Um, now, I want to talk a little bit about some, some more of the hints that you have for introducing technology to kids. So we've, we've given them a phone, and there's some restrictions on the phone. How do you set up a, a computer in a way that will allow the child to be able to have some privacy? Or do they, I guess that begs another question about whether they should even have privacy with a computer. But... You know, do you do you believe, for example, that kids can have their take their laptop into the room by themselves and close the door, or should they be doing their homework at the the a centrally located dinner table? So once upon Not a time, I was a teenage boy, and I would say every parent reserves the right to decide for themselves. But having formerly been a teenage male, you know the kind of crazy stuff that you can get up to. And by the way, that was I don't want to admit how many decades ago when you could connect online. <laughs> And it's been so many decades since. So I always advocate that as best you can, that you keep computers in a common area. However, of course, older kids especially will want to take computers in the room. They want to have mobile devices and the like. So you can put some basic safeguards into operating systems from Apple or Microsoft. You'll find that a lot of them will allow you to limit when devices can be used. They'll allow you to filter out inappropriate content and websites. They'll allow you to decide during which hours the device will actually be on and activated. You can actually buy all sorts of devices or directly access them through your network router that will allow you to shut off Internet access, for example, let's say at dinner time or at bedtime, and not turn it back on for specific users. But, again, I think the main thing that I always try and remind parents is, again, kids are pretty clever and crafty. They're going to find a way around any safeguard that you provide. So, the single best thing you can do is to be proactive here and really do your best to educate them in responsible high-tech usage, to remind them at every turn that you're going to be there and paying attention and be part of their digital lives the same way that you're an active part of their real-world lives, and also to help them make good decisions and know that when they do run into road bumps, that you're there, you're not going to freak out on them, and that they can come to you and have an open and honest discussion about the challenges they may face online. Well, I think you said something that's 
probably the most important thing, which is that you, we want them to be able to make good decisions, and, and we want them to be able to make those decisions on their own, and to hopefully be able to evaluate what what are good choices and what are bad choices. How can we, without scaring the crap out of them, get them to be able to make these good decisions? Mm. I mean, mm. I think a little if bit I of fear is probably a good idea, but yeah, you don't want them to be. And sell that. Yeah. So I think probably the best way to do it is to sit down and have a frank and candid discussion, almost like you would about the birds and the bees, with them about some of the online dangers and threats, but to also talk about the many positive ways in which technology can enhance their lives, because it does open up a tremendous number of frontiers, introduces you to people from all backgrounds and ways of life that you might not otherwise never have connected with. But you really do got to talk to them about the reality of, hey, you're going into these giant, big open places and hey, look at the football game. See the size of the stadium? You post something on Facebook, guess what? That's who you're posting it to. So think about what you're posting. By the way, do you want to go to college at some point? <laughs> Probably a good idea to keep it respectful and PC. And also teach them that the way you present yourself online, if you're making negative comments, it doesn't look good. If you're posting all sorts of goofy photos, people tend to take things at face value. I think really having that open, honest, and logical conversation with them, showing how actions tie to consequences without having to freak them out, is probably the best way to tackle that. Wow, because I'm I'm struggling, I guess, with this on on a, from a variety of different perspectives. I mean, one is their brains are not developed in many ways to understand the consequences of their actions, and it's it's one of the things I know that's quite common is that I, I forgot what the number is and it's growing every year, but it's something like 70% of employers are vetting potential employees looking mm-hmm. at their social media. And if you've got a bunch of of pictures on your Facebook timeline or, or on Twitter or anywhere else of you having all these wild parties or topless or you know whatever you you that stuff is is really hard to get taken down mm-hmm. if you can do it and that well. is a big challenge well yeah that, that's the issue is part of it is understanding the permanence of information shared online because whether you think it's private or not whether you flagged it as private or not it has the opportunity to go public at any given time and by the way, as you pointed out, it's awful hard to scrub. It's going to hang around for a while, and it's really going to influence people's perceptions. And, of course, kids also can't always connect point A to point Z or think about how something taken as a joke or, or kind of a goofy action maybe be perceived as very serious by somebody else or lead to serious consequences. So really the best thing we can do as parents is to constantly guide and mentor them to try and get them as much information as possible And, again, to sit down and spend time with them. And I think maybe the key thing here is to understand how your kids are using technology. It's not necessarily about knowing the specific features of any given app or social network or device, although that's important. But really, it's what are they taking away from the experience? Are they being respectful digital citizens and online users? Are they treating others the way that you would want them to be treated? it's, it's, Mm -hmm. It's not an easy thing. Yeah, we're talking about hundreds of topics of discussion, hundreds of possible lines of uh, challenge or road bumps that they might run into. Yeah, and again, it's a big thing, and I think probably the most important thing is just to begin having these conversations at as early an age as possible and do it in the classroom, around the house, 
you know, whenever possible. We're, we're just sending kids out into the online wilderness without a lot of training and preparation. And it's when they go out unprepared, that's when the trouble starts. Well, we've been talking thus far about good behavior on their part. What do we do? And I guess some of this is going to be the natural byproduct of having the candid conversations that you're talking about. But how do we prepare them for when they are on the receiving end of somebody else's bad behavior? trolling mm. or cyberbullying or things like that. How how do we expect them or hope that they'll respond, and, and how do we get that message across? Well, I think a big piece of it is for us to take it seriously. Typically what happens is we like to ignore problems and hope they'll go away, and that doesn't always happen, and it certainly doesn't always happen online, where things can spread like wildfire and tend to magnify and put kids uh, under a magnifying glass of sorts. So really... I think it's important to let them know that we're going to be there, that we're going to be a part of this process and help them noodle through the best ways to handle it. Sometimes the best way to stand up to a bully is to stand up to them and make a point and you know, rally people behind you. Sometimes it's best to let an incident pass if, in fact, it doesn't deserve or merit a response or there's not a healthy response to be had. And sometimes, depending on the situation, you may even have to call for professional help. I've heard plenty of cases where parents have seen cyberbullying online, had to get involved, call another parent. I don't know that experts agree that there's a single best practice for this. And I think the best thing that you can do, again, is be aware, be involved, and be open and available to your kids so that you guys can try and come up with the best solution available to you as you work through each unique situation. The good news being there are more organizations and resources than ever that are recognizing that these kinds of problems exist and offer support and tools for you. And to remind the kids that they need to come and talk to you if something is troubling them about the way that they're being treated or some something that, that, that they've witnessed about somebody else being mistreated online. Absolutely. The yeah. single biggest thing that causes problems is when it gets swept under the rug or not taken seriously. So you got to give kids the respect they deserve. And the same way that you want them to be there for you, you got to be there for them as well, just as you wouldn't realize that. I think a lot of this really is just we keep coming back to the need to be such an active presence in your kid's digital life as much as you would in their real-world life or school activities or after-school activities. A lot of it is just don't hand them a device and expect that they're going to know immediately what to do or how to embrace this brave new world. Exactly. Scott Steinberg's co-author of Parenting High-Tech Kids, The Ultimate Internet Web and Online Safety Guide. Scott, thanks for joining us. Great to have you. Of course. My pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.